Welcome to the podcast. I'm Joanna Colbert, and you're listening to The Casting Session. I decided to create this podcast out of a desire to help actors feel more confident in their auditions. This podcast is an inside look at filmmaking through the perspective of casting. In these interviews, I'm going to provide you with in-depth, enlightening, fun conversations with the industry's top casting directors, actors, directors, and producers. We're going to cover a range of topics like the audition process and the role casting plays in the collaboration with directors and the overall craft of casting. Basically, we're giving you a behind-the-scenes look into the casting process. So without further ado, I bring you the casting session. Welcome to the Casting Session Podcast. I'm so excited to introduce my guest today, who is a wonderful casting director and a dear friend, Miss Rana Cross. Hello, Joanna. Hello, Rana. <laughs> so Rana has an esteemed resume, casting movies such as Moulin Rouge, Mad Max Fury Road, Fault in Our Stars. And I would like her to please share her wisdom and experience and 10,000 hours. So I'm super, super excited to have you today. Well, thank you. So how did you get into casting? I was trying to be an actor. A lot of casting directors are from that world. And I had a friend in New York who knew Todd Thaler, who at the time had this huge extras casting business. So that's how I got started in extras casting. In New York City. In New York City. And it was the heyday of when New York City, it was like the heyday of Woody Allen's um, movies. And so we did, you know, all the extras. And honestly, it was a great education. And then I met my husband, and he lived in California, and I moved to L.A., which I never thought I would live here, and um, went to work for Marion Authority at Warner Brothers, who you know very well. Yes, and will always be inspired by you, Marion. And we share the Woody Allen world, which was, from a casting perspective, pretty much as good as it gets. Yeah, amazing. I mean, even the extras, because, you know, we were very, very specific. It really taught me how to have a clear but very quick and concise opinion about someone. So it was a great education. And Juliet was upstairs and we were downstairs. Juliet Taylor. Yeah. I just thought of something, Rana. If there's any listeners in our audience who want to do extra work in particular or have done it, can we talk a little bit about how an extra doing too much can ruin the scene? Just because it's important, I think, for people to understand the less is more aspect. Definitely, definitely. And I think that you, you know, very often we were casting those actors, and even though they were non-speaking, especially on Woody's movies in those days, sometimes he would upgrade actors. So, yeah, I think, you know, that the background and supporting characters for me in watching a movie, the... Um, if it doesn't feel real or something seems out of place, it almost takes me out of the film. So you're kind of creating a canvas. For sure. And, you know, I mean, I think I've been doing this long enough, and you have too, where I can now tell, ah, oh, this was in Atlanta, this shot in Vancouver, oh, this is in the UK. Like, just because we start to know these supporting players so well. I mean, there are people from Remember the Titans 
that then subsequently I cast in the blind side or, and then, you know, whatever else I'm doing in Atlanta. And although it's hard because you don't think you age, but when you watch other people, I but yeah, I mean, you know, so yes, I think the canvas of the movie, it's one thing to obviously set the leads, but I actually think the fabric of the film, that's what we, Juliet, talk you and Marion taught me and many others and I think that's really critical yeah it really is you really want to get lost in that world um as an audience member and that's what the most powerful films do so you've worked as I said with esteemed directors George Miller and Baz Luhrmann can you talk a little bit about their process and your experience with working with them yeah, well, that process is so unique and different. It's interesting because, you know, they're both Australian, but come from, I think, two different schools. I think with Baz, it comes from a world of theatricality. And um, our auditions with him, especially on Moulin Rouge, we had a um, an accompanist, and we usually did it in a big rehearsal room. And um, it was, we had a reader... And it was much more of um, a rehearsal than it was actually an audition, which I think is a really fascinating way to go through the process because, um, in a way, some of that pressure is off. They're really there just to rehearse, and it's definitely a workshop. And with George, he took it even further. Um, With George, the audition process on Mad Max, because he didn't want actors coming in and acting tough, he actually picked six pieces of material. He did not identify what they were. So it was a piece from Network and a piece from Pride and Prejudice and Monty Python skidded. Um, and, you know, so at the top, it would just say option one. And you could come to the audition either on your own and do it with me. You could do the scenes as a monologue. You could do the scenes, um, you could bring a scene partner. Basically just said you could do anything you wanted. So that was the one piece of it. And then the second piece of it was telling a story about yourself. And it was either going to be a story about the happiest thing that ever happened to you or the saddest. It was really interesting. Uh, We would sit for hours listening to the stories And it was a psychological examination of the actors. And it's amazing, and I'm grateful for how willing people were to tell me very sort of intimate moments in their life. But with George, we actually did a lot of this, where he was, at that time, we were Skyping. And we would actually watch auditions together on Skype for hours and hours and hours. Because we have people auditioning all over the world. And then we narrowed it down. And then we sort of came up with our 40 people that he was going to come out of Australia. We started in London and worked our way across the United States. And that was really interesting because it was a twofold experience. It sort of merges what we're all faced with right now. But then I did have the opportunity for us to all, you know, be in the room together. And those auditions were four-hour-long auditions, and we gave the actors one scene, and they had to learn both sides of the scene, and we didn't tell them what they were going to do. We paired them with one other actor, and we had a dramaturg there as well that George works with, so we did 
some games and some prep in the beginning, some conversation, and then he put the uh, scenes up. We actually had two cameramen shooting it. It was almost, again, like a workshop rehearsal experience. And those are very, you know, they're very meaningful to me and very unique. And that's not to discount any of the other projects that I've worked on or the ways that I've worked on it. But I just think it's so exciting. I will never forget those auditions. And just for a director to have so much investment in the casting process and so much passion for it that they would set this structure to sort of give the actor the absolute utmost opportunity to do their best. Yeah, and well, obviously with Moulin but also with Mad Max, that we really found a lot of these actors on the rise. I mean, Gal Gadot read for us way before she was Wonder Woman, and uh, Zoe Kravitz obviously is in the movie, but for Mad Max, it was Michael Fassbender and Jeremy Renner and Ernie Hammer and Tom Hardy, obviously, and Joel Kinnaman, he was just coming out of Sweden, Ruth Nega auditioned Gugu Mbatha-Roth. You know, so we were sort of, I think what was so exciting is we were definitely sort of Tom Hiddleston. We were finding that troupe of actors that were sort of on the rise and coming up at that moment. And I found that really exciting. That is exciting. And, you know, we talk a lot on the podcast about the importance of showing your essence and how we want to give an actor the optimal opportunity to be themselves and show their uniqueness. And it's very hard to do in this little tiny room with sides and do you memorize, do you not? The actor is just so wanting to do well and show us your bag of tricks, but really all we want is to see who they are. Yeah. And, you know, how are they going to participate in the process? And it is definitely, even though obviously we're all doing work over Zoom right now, it's not the same, that tangible feeling of... I mean, honestly, when I started out, this is, you know, aging myself, but we weren't videotaping. When I worked with Marion, we weren't videotaping actors. We were sitting in a room with an actor. They were reading across from us, and she was taking notes. You know, her Robert De Niro, I think that kid's going to be good. You know, those kind of notes. And you're just like, so our world now is so video. And now, obviously, with the pandemic, we're doing this. We're Zooming each other. Um, And that's the piece of it that I miss. I miss that connection. But in a way, Baz and George were ahead of their time because they were scouring the planet, not just LA, and they were doing it over Skype, which is sort of today's Zoom. So that's really, really exciting. Yeah, yeah. I I think that those are unique um, processes. But like I said, I feel like even the movies that I've been working on during the pandemic, you do see it over the screen. You see the essence. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? What do you see over the screen? You know, well, it's interesting because I worked for Jerry Bruckheimer for a very long time. And years ago, even when we were starting out, he would always want a monitor in the room. And even though the actor was coming into the room and standing right in front of us, he was watching them on the monitor. And I really take that to heart now because what we're what you're seeing on the monitor is what we're going to watch, especially now with people watching. I mean, my son barely owns a television, so you're watching 
things on your computer, you're watching it on your phone. So in that way, I feel like we are really starting to understand even more so what's going to play well on that screen um, in this process versus the actors standing in the room in front of us. Interesting. So one of the things I like to tell actors is to trust us, like trust Rana. She knows what she's doing. You're going to see something just by them kind of standing there and, and saying hello. Well, I always see my job, and I think it's the way I was trained both with Marion and then with David Rubin, is that I am the advocate for that person and that every person that's coming into my office, that I want them to do well, that I want to say yes. and. It's interesting because, you know, obviously, and having been an actor, I totally get it, that you're you're on that other side and you think those people are always, they just want to, you know, they don't want to have anything to do with you and they just want to say no. But that's not the case. I want someone to come in the room. I want them to be amazing. And then I want to be able to share that with the people that I'm working with. And maybe uh, they're not that great on one movie that I'm working on, but I will remember, oh, you know, it didn't work on that movie, but you know what? I think it really will work for this movie. And so, yes, the essence is I, I just want somebody to be prepared, which I know other casting directors have said this on your podcast, but it's critical. And to just be open enough to expose a little bit of yourself in the room. So can you talk a little bit more about what prepared means for you and your office? I'm just a stickler. It's like if you get the material and you only get it the night before, then you, your job is you've got to figure out a way to get that memorized or enough so that you're off book enough so that you're able to communicate with me in the room and really sort of indulge yourself in the scene and not be stuck on the page. It's a waste of an actor's time. It's probably, at the end of the day, a waste of my time, too, if you can't really engage with me. And again, because I was an actor, I tried in my readings to do the best I can, you know, to help you. That's the other thing, too. I'm there to help. I'm there to try to get you the job. And we say you don't necessarily audition for the job. You're auditioning for Rana, for the office, for the long term. I think so, because we're busy, and we do a lot of things, and I like being able to hire people over and over again. I like it when a director, you know, sort of starts to have his group of people that he always likes, and he wants to use them. I think it's exciting. It's almost like a theatrical troupe that goes from place to place. A lot of directors like to do that. Right. And let's tell our audience, because George and Baz were such unusual processes, what is the usual amount of time that you have to cast a show? And is TV different from film and is streaming different? Yes. Uh, very often, I have the good fortune of coming in early enough where I'm helping them set the leads. On television shows, if it's a big show, we're working on a sort of big international show right now, and we're probably. 15 to 20 weeks out from starting to shoot, but we're very active now because we're setting the leads and it's complicated and they're from all over the world. So I don't know that anything's normal anymore, but in the old days, let's say it was three months, you know, to cast the movie from start to finish. So 
about 10 to 12 weeks. And the television can move so much faster. If you're doing a pilot, you could end up having to cast back in eight weeks. I think that for me, and this is so crazy, but the one big issue is, if there are any foreign actors listening to this, is visas tend to like get in the way for me now because I can't get people in fast enough. And if I don't have enough lead time, even in my audition process, to then be able to consider somebody in terms of the visa. Yeah. Um, you know, and now obviously with COVID, uh, that's also changed our whole process too. We have become medical experts in some way, right? We have to know about the vaccinations and the status and is our production a mandatory vaccinated show? And all of those things are a part of our process now too. Right, a new skill set we have to have. And more delays, more cost, more obstacles. But hey, we're working as fast and as hard as we can. Yeah, I don't think it's slowing down product. I think things are working. I think productions are struggling because if someone tests positive. But there's, um, no, I think the protocols actually, I think the unions put those together really quickly and... You know, they're doing knock on whatever a pretty good job of maintaining those right now. That's great to hear. Um, I also have a part of the show called The Ritual where I ask people about their coffee and tea rituals. Do you have one? I am a, an occasional coffee drinker sort of later in the day, but I don't wake up in the morning and have to have a cup of coffee. I just somehow wake up and then by the end of the day, I'm exhausted, I guess. Okay, so what would be the reason you would just say at the end of the day and just say, okay, I got to have coffee? Like, what has to happen for you to get to that place of like, I got to have coffee? And if so, then what do you do? I have to be tired, uh, but then I'm going to drink a decaf. Oh, really? So you will never drink a calf? Well, really, it's not a good thing for me. I'm a very fast metabolizing human being. So I think the extra stimulation is probably not what anybody wants to be around. <laughs> <laughs> but the decaf will do the trick? Yeah, I okay. think so. Okay. I think so. Yeah, but I, I know I was listening to this part of your podcast and thinking, oh, I don't have that ritual, really. Well, it's just as exciting to not have one. <laughs> Because it makes you unique. See, actors, it's all about being unique. And Rana is unique. She just wakes up and goes. It's incredible. <laughs> it makes my husband absolutely crazy that my eyes open up and I think of 65 things I need to deal with. Does he have a coffee ritual? Oh, yeah. Big coffee drinker. And our son has become a huge coffee drinker. Probably drinks too much. <laughs> I'm a big coffee drinker, so partly why I have it as part of the show. I appreciate it. I totally, and I love the smell. Do you? A lot of people don't. No, I love it. <laughs> Rana, we can't thank you enough. And I think our audience will get a lot out of this. And I so appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, Joanna. Thanks for inviting me. I love that you're doing this. It's a great idea. Aw, Thank you for listening today. I hope you found the episode enlightening. It's really my true desire to share a unique perspective on the casting process and help you feel more confident and inspired. The podcast is available on Anchor and Spotify. For new episode updates, you can follow the show on Instagram at The Casting Session. Please feel free to share this with your friends and write a review. 
and tune in next week for more behind-the-scenes gold. I'm Joanna Colbert, and I'll see you at the next casting session.